Welcome to the Circle of Birth podcast. I'm your host and advocate, Ali Kranz. These podcasts are here to gather stories, people and information to better our understanding of the wisdom of birth and how we can reclaim our connections to birth from conception and beyond. You will hear stories not only from Australia but from all over the world, bringing together women, partners, midwives, doulas and all the people that have a birth story to share. So jump right in for this next Circle of Birth story. Okay, so I got to go and um, hang out with Catherine again and this is part two of her birth stories and this is the story of her son Anarian. Now, I got a, such a good insight into a family of four and it was just wonderful and I appreciate her time for doing this. Um, so we sat in the playroom with the girls and the other kids were out playing. So there might be a bit of noise of shuffling of Lego and crying and um, talking and whatnot. So enjoy. It was a really good experience and I hope you enjoy the episode. Well, hi, it's Catherine Bell here. I'm going to talk to you about my second birth, which was a natural birth in the hospital in 2007. It was the middle of winter. It was a beautiful day. I was just cruising on Facebook with my sister when I started to feel some niggles. And I thought, ooh, that's interesting. That's a little bit different. And made a comment to my sister. Oh, I think I might be uh, starting my labour. I was 40 plus four and we had walked. Oh, my gosh, we had walked and walked and walked to try and bring on labour. And so I finally went, ah, it'll happen when it'll happen. And so I was just cruising on Facebook and my sister said, that's it. Off you get. Go and, go and have a baby. As soon as I got off Facebook and I called Andrew home to say, oh, it's on, it's on, it's on. He gets home well, an hour later and I said, yeah, sorry, false alarm. Uh, it's, not, it's not happening. It's just I'm just going to plug her in. There we go. And there we are. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so the Andrew got home and it was all all over, nothing happening. So we just got on with our evening, and I was uh, putting my firstborn Eleanor to bed. She was um, two and three months old, two years and three months. And I was breastfeeding her still. So I was breastfeeding her to sleep. And in the process of doing that, the contractions started. And they were strong and lasting about a minute. And I just breathed through them as I settled her to sleep. And I'm thinking, wow, okay, here we go. And part of the reason that the contractions started was because I was feeding her nipple stimulation which I didn't know at the time but I know now so there we were she'd settled and I'd extracted myself doing the slow roll away so as not to disturb her and went out to the lounge room where I said to Andrew okay we've got contractions going and just breathed through them and he was timing them and he said oh these are actually four minutes apart and the midwife at the hospital had told us 
that we should come in at five minutes apart because we're 25 minutes away. So we bundled little Eleanor up and off we went to the hospital. Our, um, our plan at the time had been to keep Eleanor with us. Um, because I, I didn't feel um, I didn't feel good not being with her. Um, it made me feel more relaxed to keep her with us. Uh, so we had a bag for me ready to go with um, a change of clothes and maternity pads and you know the usual um, mother's maternity bag pack. And we had a second bag packed for Eleanor that had distractions in it like pencils and toys. And her bag was bigger than my bag. So off we go to the um, to the hospital. We get to the car park and out we all get. Andrew bundles up Eleanor and all the bags, and off they race up to the ward to announce my pending arrival. And I waddled along, stopping for each contraction. Waddled along, you know, took took several contractions to get up the hallway. And as I'm approaching the the desk at the maternity suite, the midwife says. So, Catherine, do you want to go to the ward or do you want to go to the delivery suite? I just pointed, delivery room one, fill the bath, off we go and we and put my birth plan down on the, on the bench inside the delivery suite and said, read that, don't talk to me and just slipped into the zone. I was completely focused, knew what I was doing and didn't need to be interrupted. Andrew got Eleanor set up in a corner. By now she's she's wide awake again. She's had her twenty minute power nap and she wasn't gonna miss a thing. She was she was determined to see her baby brother born. So I got in the bath and again it was just bliss. You know, you, you sink into the bath and all the sensations just drift away and it was dark and warm and I just sunk into myself. At one point, I don't know, half an hour later, 45 minutes later, I opened my eyes and my doctor was there, my GP. And he very quietly said, do you mind if I watch? And I remember thinking at the time, uh, you are anyway, but okay. And I just, just grunted and closed my eyes again. And I guess he took that to mean yes, um, but he didn't disturb me again. It uh, wasn't much longer after that that I did start to get agitated and I couldn't get comfortable. I, I turned over onto my knees, I tried to go sideways leaning over the side of the bath and I started retching. Um, I hadn't eaten since lunchtime, so I didn't have anything to throw up, but I was just... Um, retching with every contraction and getting agitated so I decided to get out of the bath and now I was in unknown territory I hadn't planned on a land birth I my plan had been to have another water birth because that had worked so because that had worked so beautifully with my um, previous birth and I, I did know one thing though I did not want to be on my back and that was in my birth plan. So the midwife suggested getting up on my knees on the bed, but leaning over the back of the bed. And so she lifted the bed up, so I was leaning over the back, and she handed me a little bag to retch into. 
And then I found my zone again on my knees, leaning over the back, just staring at the wall, and I became alone again. Although every so often, Eleanor would come up to me and she'd say, Hey, Mummy, are you okay? And I'd go, Yeah, just, just having a baby. And smile at her, and she'd be, Oh, okay, jolly good, and go, go back to observing. And then the midwife, you know, knowing that I didn't want to be interrupted, they, everyone was staying respectful respectfully quiet but then the midwife just said Catherine do you need me to direct you with the pushing and I'm like oh am I supposed to push <laughs> because with my first the pushing had just happened and I was waiting for it to just spontaneously happen and so she suggested that I bear down um you know aim for your bum, bear down with the um, the next contraction which I did and it felt fantastic so I did that um, repeatedly and started to make progress, we started to, to feel the baby come, or I started to feel the baby coming down and then eventually there was this awesome release as his head came out and then the rest of his body slid out after that and they handed him through to my chest and I uh, maneuvered myself around and when I turned around there was actually an audience and I felt like taking a bow and going oh thank you very much now go away um, because basically what had just happened was a natural birth in the hospital and even though this was a very low intervention hospital it was a pretty rare thing for them to witness a woman birthing essentially unassisted. Um, I use the term unassisted to mean, you know, without intervention. Um, in, in that all the midwife had to do was, was catch, catch the baby and hand, her, hand him over to me. Another important part of our birth plan at this point in time had been delayed cord clamping, which uh, in, you know, in 2009 was still fairly new. Um, not everyone had heard of it, but it was, it was still a fairly um, alternative thing to do at the time. But they were quite happy to uh, oblige, but in doing so they were hovering over me um, and that was actually more disturbing for me than my uh, concerns with, with the cord clamping. So I'm not sure, it might have been a few, a few minutes, maybe five at most, I allowed the, um, the cord to remain unclamped and then I said, right, okay, cut it and, and go away. And once they'd cut the cord, they relaxed a lot more and they were happy to leave us to it. And um, we had skin to skin for over an hour uh, and just allowed the breastfeeding to happen uh, naturally um, with what I now know is called um, a breast crawl um, even though I was um, helping out quite a bit more than I needed to uh, that skin to skin time it was just amazing to watch my little baby's instinct awakening as he got used to being on, on the outside and I just took in everything Oh, every line, every feature, the shape of his 
little chin and just was absolutely awed that I now had a little boy as well as a little girl. And my and Andrew brought my firstborn Eleanor over to meet her little brother, and she gave him a little kiss, even though his even though his hair still had blood in it. She gave him a little kiss and said, "Hello, baby. I'm going to bed now." And, and she went home with her pot. Um, it was ten o'clock at night by this stage, so that birth was about four hours from woe to go, uh, from the very first contraction to uh, a baby in arms. But even though that birth had been pretty much uh, pretty bog standard, you know, no dramas, uh, you know, we just had a baby, the lead-up to having him the way we wanted to have him was a little bit more... Uh, not problematic, but there was a game that had to be played out. And this game had to play out because I am fat. <laughs> Actually, I prefer the term magnificent, but <laughs> fat is well understood. My BMI at 34 weeks became what they know that they call borderline. My BMI actually hadn't changed at all since the beginning of my pregnancy, but they hadn't weighed me up until that point. And on weighing me at 34 weeks, they discovered that I was borderline. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and this meant that I was Did no... Did they use these words, borderline? Like borderline. You're borderline. I'm borderline. Yeah. Ooh, Catherine. Ooh, uh, borderline. You, uh, you know, we can't, um, we can't allow this because um, the anaesthetists have a policy... With um, with this BMI and above, um, that you'll have to go to the um, the big hospital across the border. And I just said no. Um, my previous birth was uh, no dramas. Um, I haven't put on any weight. My blood pressure is fine. I've passed all the all the other tests. I don't have gestational diabetes. This is ridiculous, you know, you're basing this on, on a number which could, you know, what, if I go and do a really big poo and, um, you know, will I no longer be borderline? How close to the border am I? And he said, okay, you know, look, I hear you, I hear you, Catherine, but, you know, it's out of my hands, it's the anaesthetist, it's hospital policy, you will have to prove that you are low status by going and seeing the specialist. The specialist, I'm not, I'm not sure what their specialty was. Um, am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, I just have to put the um, censored thing <laughs> yeah. on it after. It was, the, special, the specialty was assholery. <laughs> Dickheadousness. There you go. Oh, yeah. Explitery, explitery, hashtag, star, whatever the <laughs> requirement is. But I had to dutifully go to an appointment with a specialist to assess the size of the baby to ensure I was not about to birth an absolutely massive baby because I'm a fatty. And to have this specialist, whatever their specialty was, to approve my um, ability to stay in the low-risk hospital. So off I went um, with Andrew and Eleanor in tow to sit in the most crowded waiting room I have ever seen and we waited uh, at least an hour and a half past our 
appointed time before we were called in. And the first thing we had to do was have an ultrasound um, to assess the size of the baby. And I'm giving Ali a link um, to show you the stupidity of that particular uh, procedure because it has been shown to be completely and utterly inaccurate. But there you have it. We had to do, you know, this was the game that had to play out. So we go in to have an ultrasound we didn't want to have at 36 weeks. Yeah, 34 weeks, sorry, 34 weeks. And the sonographer asked if we wanted to know the gender of the baby, Um, you know, which, of course, well, the baby doesn't even know its gender yet. Anyway, that's (laughs) all, all jokes aside. She wanted to know, uh, asked us if we wanted to know the sex of our baby. And, of course, by this time we decided, you know what, we do We do want to know, you know, just for laughs. Um, we're here. We may as well find out. Big pause. Do you know the sex of the baby? And she said, oh, yes. <laughs> um, and are you going to tell us? Um, oh, yes, yes, it's a boy. Okay, very good. Jolly good, we've got a boy. That that's good. pigeon pair, fantastic. Then yeah, she's done the measurements and decided the baby's average size. Okay, tick that box. Go back out to the waiting room until the specialist calls you in to um, give you your results. And um, so, so we go back out to the waiting room for yeah, probably another half an hour or so before the specialist called us in and we went and sat down in her office and she's rustling my various bits of paperwork in front of her and she goes well Catherine based on this I am going to suggest that you can stay um, at the other hospital and you can remain low risk I think at this point I was supposed to fall to my knees and, and kiss her feet or something And um, <laughs> we, um, <laughs> I was just interrupted by Eleanor. That's quite funny. She approved me, and I think I was supposed to worship her for this statement of my ability to give birth. And then she said to me, um, "Just lay off the macas and the and the soft drink." But between now, 34 weeks, and when you have your baby, as long as you don't put on more than 10 kilos, then you are fine to stay at your chosen hospital. Okay, cool. Thanks. The whole time biting my tongue because what she had said was so insensitive and rude beyond belief because not once had she asked me what my diet was. But because I'm a fatty... Obviously, it must be Macca's and soft drink. So I had to go through this really undignified process to prove my low-risk status to stay at the hospital. So having passed their tests and being told that I could put on 10 kilos, having not put on any weight at all to that point in my pregnancy, it it was just so absurd. Off off we went to, to await the birth of our baby. So... It was quite an interesting um, process, having, having to run this gauntlet during pregnancy just to prove my low-risk um, status. So 
what ended up happening after I had that baby was the discovery of this um, profession, this um, this thing called doulas. And what doulas do is help provide information and help, help you navigate this gauntlet. And I thought, oh, that's just brilliant. If only I'd known about doulas before. <laughs> but this this amazing um, tool that was available for women so that they didn't have to navigate the um, this gauntlet alone, particularly when things like this came up that were just so bizarre and didn't make any sense at all. Just uh, watch that little over there. And, and it was um, quite an interesting process after he was born to then start... Uh, the education process of becoming a doula and learning so much incredible information and how to find good re- resources and to discover there's <laughs> discover the birthing community and the conversations that were already happening among women who had awakened to what their options were and just that things didn't have to be the way they were. Uh, alongside doing my um, doula, doula training, I joined and started training with the Australian Breastfeeding Association as an educator and counsellor. And in doing so, it sort of came out the other side feeling like, finally, I'm a qualified mother. All the things that I've been learning was information that every woman should Imagine have access to and should just know. And, and have the right to the support that came came through those um, avenues. So it was really quite, uh, on one hand, really uh, upsetting to think that I actually had to learn this stuff that was really innate knowledge, but at the same time feeling really empowered to know that the, that the knowledge was there for the taking. All you had to do was say, I'm ready to receive this information and, and away you would go. So between birth number two and birth number three, I went through an incredible transformation, which came with that the knowledge is power. Was is, is you know it's, it might be a bit of a cliche, but it is so true. And also, what I ended up doing between those two babies was developing the first version of my what I now call the. Um, do you want Mama? <laughs> what I call my informed birth preparation guide. The the first version was called Plan Bella Birth, and it was basically um, a how to to developing a, a, a workable birth plan. Uh, because it's that knowledge is power just became so important to me, and knowing how to navigate through the minefield, the gauntlet. And have the kind of birth where you can bow at the end of it and say, and there, my friends, is how a fatty has a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for the applause. Now you guys can all exit. And I I did. I felt so awesome after after that birth, um, having proven what I could could do. But also, um, I shouldn't have had to prove myself. It it should have been a given. That, that, that I was awesome, magnificent. 
and I'll leave you there because the next two stories that I'd like to tell you take a bit of a tangent and at some, some point I'll come back and have a chat with Ali about my next two births which were unassisted births um, because yeah, our circumstances have changed quite, quite significantly um, not just from the knowledge point of view but from a uh, you know, geographical point of view so those, those stories will, will come to you at a later date in the meantime, you can listen to, <laughs> to Julia play with the Lego. Do you want to um, yeah. just your website? Show everyone what your uh, website is. Yep. Yeah. The, um, you, can, you can find out more about informed birth planning by going to www.bellabirth.org, uh, which is the home of informed birth preparation. And there you'll find loads of articles about... Um, birth mapping, um, which takes birth planning to a whole new level. And, yeah, I, I like to say go boldly where no birth plan has gone before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I need theme music. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's been fun, fun uh, sharing these stories with you. Ali and watching the kids play while yeah. we while we've been doing this. It, you, you, if you could be in this room with us right now, there is Lego strewn all across the floor. So we had to cut that off there because there were some short, interesting sounds after that. Um, again, thank you, Catherine, for sharing your story. Did you connect with this episode? Then head over to our website, circleofbirth.com. There you'll find show notes, pictures, resources, and potentially connect with today's storyteller. Don't forget to sign up to be updated with new empowering episodes and content. Help the show grow by contributing a tip in the jar to make sure we can continue to better the podcast and connect more and more to the wisdom of birth and each other. Hey, and don't forget the iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we empower. We empower.